Man, I gotta watch oh, yeah, Life Itself about- again. Yeah, even though that mention. movie right. tears me apart. Right? <laughs> dude, dude. Shut up. <laughs> Shut yeah. up. Shut up. I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> wow. I forget that you can't say those words in, in that order in the same uh, sentence ever. No, no you can't. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was interviewed in, uh, in that. You're tearing me apart, Roger. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, finally, to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm Mike. And I'm James. And uh, if our memory, collective memory, serves us correctly, uh, this is episode number 75, which uh, uh, should be a momentous episode, just because it's divisible by 25, I guess. Divisible by um, five, it's roundish. A lot of people have like anniversaries for you know, like a seventy fifth anniversary. Yeah, I mean, I think that just comes from dividing a hundred into four, and then every single time one of those quadrants is uh, reached, you celebrate with something. But uh, this feels a bit dubious this time because we have uh, uh, haven't done this in uh, a few weeks, and we're trying to get our sea legs back. I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm also I'm wow, more tired you're than I have been. Oh my god! Every time I yawn, this happened once before. But every time I yawn on this show, you're like, "Man, I'm, you hate me." <laughs> no, I'm just tired. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's bad it's, as it's a podcast like, co-host to let the audience know that I'm a human being. So, back to Robo Robo James. I'd watch that movie. Uh, you know what? Um, <laughs> Robo James uh, would uh, make a. Eh, well, he'd he'd make a dull co-host, James. It's uh, it's, uh <laughs> we're, we're glad to have all your meat sack humanness here. Yeah. <laughs> what what do I bring? I just have cats. That's it. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, you know, machines don't feel pain. So every time your cats jostle you or get in a vicious claw fight on your lap, uh, it, it adds a bit of life and vibrancy. It's true, yeah. <laughs> um, and. It, yeah, I look. It's uh, I I don't I don't know if we have enough uh, online support to actually justify any sort of you know Patreon account. But uh, <laughs> if, if, if we didn't, uh, I'm sorry. If, assuming we did, uh, part of me kind of enjoys the fact that worst comes to worst, we can always fall back on the fact. Well, you know, we don't get paid. We do this for free. This is a uh zero we charge nothing uh and don't even give the option to contribute to anybody as of right now so um, <laughs> you know it's uh it's always a nice excuse when you're you know three weeks delayed for mm-hmm. not really any specific reason other than the fact that it's fucking time consuming and life is crazy and hectic and uh i'm sure anyone who is listening can agree yeah and this is a kind of a fun episode we're doing. We really want to get back into it. You both saw opposite movies, and I think we both told the other that you don't need to see the movie that we saw, well, if so that look, makes we, any sense. Well, look, we have a pool of four movies here, two of which we've both seen, and two of which uh, only one of us has seen. And uh, yeah, so in each of those movies, uh, I don't believe the other person is really recommending. <laughs> yeah, so we, we did both see a few weeks ago, I'm Not Your Negro, 
Um, we're doing a third segment of Forgotten Favorite on 99 Homes, a great movie with Andrew Garfield and Michael Shannon we'll be talking about. And then we have Beauty and the Beast, which everyone knows about, and then Life, where Ryan Reynolds steals a show. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> alien space movie. Tell everyone about the five-second uh, Facebook promo. It's not even a real trailer, James. It's a it's, Facebook I know, promo. I know. I thought but, it was a snippet from the trailer, uh, so I, it, it was... It was a lot more egregious in my mind, but whatever. Well, here's the thing. For my job, I deal with those all the time, and uh, it's it's amazing how prevalent they are, and they're not anything. They are only existing on Facebook. Um, it's possible they pulled footage from a trailer, but it is really just a – like it's basically a moving sticker. It doesn't really do anything. It's, it's not a, a – it's not any video, uh, so – yeah, it's a bit yeah, of like some flash advertisement, you know, just like, they're bam, go see this movie for I, this reason. Yeah, but they're terrible, and they they don't give you anything. I, they're junk, and I hate them, but that's also partly because they just make my job more annoying. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I hate movies, too. I keep seeing all these advertisements for movies, and you know what? Fuck it. Uh, yo, fuck it, man. I, I, we're going to okay. review books on this show now. <laughs> <laughs> they're all French. Every, every one of them. <laughs> There's no subtitles in books, Mike. You can't do this to me. <laughs> you American shit. I can do whatever I want. Uh, so I think what we had decided was to do Life and Beauty and the Beast and then explain to the other why viewing such a movie is unnecessary. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the right way to go about it. Um, I... Uh, I just have to make sure that when I do Beauty and the Beast, I am speaking at a uh, far enough, a, a substantial enough distance from my uh, from my girlfriend. Oh. Before I, before I do this. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast was terrible, and if you liked the movie, you should probably die. In the, in the in the in the back, you just hear. What? What's that? Nothing. 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 <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Honey. And just violent screams, and then you never hear from me again. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm reviewing this movie the right way for the greater good, and she's like, I am your girlfriend. I that am the greatest great. good you are ever gonna get. <laughs> See, that is a. Uh... Uh, just an inherent example of why animation is uh, superior to live action uh, which is going to be a big big talking point for the Beauty and the Beast film oh boy I set you up for something I didn't know I was doing it (laughs) I didn't really it's a very broad connection but still all our connections Uh, are very broad yes it's true so we actually didn't go over any news stories this time so uh, I don't are, are, are we just doing this as kind of our... Well, our I did do we want to talk about any of the trailers lots of trailers happened I kind of want to talk about it I mean, th- what can we really do? I mean, none of the trailers are, I think, particularly. I mean, I mean, I watched it, and it, I, I actually did edits for it at my work. I wrote the description for it, um, and uh, I, I just saw Spider-Man: Homecoming, and you know, these are all, I, I, I mean, <laughs> promising. I, I mean, the, I can imagine your description of it was something along the lines of uh, a movie with a clown where kids don't have sex in the sewers, no stars. I, I, my description is as soon as a clown came on screen, I covered my eyes and didn't watch the rest of the trailer <laughs> because I actually think that, I, um, oh my God, Tim Curry, 
played yeah, the yeah, original Tim Pennywise. I, I think he's the reason why I'm to this day terrified of clowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and when I when I first, uh, it's, that's the kind of thing that so many people say just very disingenuously. Um, where it, it was kind of, it felt like there was kind of like the hip thing for a few years to be like afraid of clowns, you know. Um, yeah, and I no, this is such a that, no, no, no such, such that before I really knew you and I heard you say that I was like tool. <laughs> no, no, I am truly and sincerely afraid of clowns. No, and I believe you now, especially you know knowing the the root of it. Of course, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. uh I mean, have you seen the original It? Can't, can't oh, be. In, it, I in, thought you were talking about his role in Clue. You know, he was a oh, real clown. Yeah, of course. Or uh, or Nigel Thornberry in the Wild Thornberries. That. Uh... <laughs> no, yeah, no. Um, it, it is one of those old movies that I've seen. Uh, well, I suppose it's a. Is it a miniseries? Oh, I can't remember. I do. I think it's just film. Well, regardless, it's one of the things I've seen. Oh, no, it the, is a miniseries. Well, you got Okay, me. sweet. Whew, I remember that much. Uh, but it's okay. one of the things I've seen in the literal sense and that I've sat in a room and watched it. Um, but when I was, I believe, far too young to have any sort of critical faculties or even really take a lot from it other than, ah! Yeah, funny thing is you don't need critical faculties to piss your pants over a clown. Yeah, yeah, and then, so it still got me in that respect, but I would love to be able to appreciate more how it scared me exactly. True, fair enough. For um, our new podcast, A Second Watch. No. Oh. <laughs> you have been working on this a bit lately, haven't you? Uh, no, I've I've th- thought of it once, I think, in a dream, um, which is where I get all my good ideas, apparently. I just need to sleep for most of the day, and then I'll have I'll be brilliant. I'll have all these brilliant creations. Um Morgan Freeman told me that humans only use ten percent of their brains. So, just the idea. Maybe, maybe I'll just throw this out there for our, however many listeners. Would you listen to a podcast where you, where people find movies, where Mike and I would find a move, would find that movies that you feel like you need a second watch for? You know, if you've ever said that before, like, mm, you know, I didn't really get it this time, or uh, maybe I like it, maybe I don't. I have to watch it again. Maybe on a second watch. We're gonna do. Find, I, we're gonna give those movies a second watch, and we're gonna not cop out and say we need to have, take a third watch. We're gonna make a decision. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I that actually really came uh, became prominent when everyone was talking about Inherent Vice because everyone. I mean, oh, they, yes, they were, I still uh, need to give that movie a second watch. <laughs> there was a group that loved it, um, and then a group that like like that I am a part of that just really couldn't find a way into it, and just I I mean really. Uh, maybe the most high and dry I've ever felt after a film. Not, you know, it, it, well, I felt pretty high and dry after, thing. after the assassin, how Shao Shen's. That's assassin. true. Uh, that, that, that's true. But it, even so, I, this one from a director who I had followed more closely and that I would, I mean, I, I had been looking forward to it for well over a year at that point and had been getting good reviews. Um, and some people did truly legitimately love it. And it was based on a novel by, you know, one of the great Ameri- living American novelists yeah. uh, who is notoriously difficult to read, let alone adapt. Is that so, Pinchon, I- yeah, Thomas yeah. Pinchon, who is not even photographed. There, there's, the only photographs of him are actually from back in his school and Navy days. Huh. Um, so, Does he even exist? Of, 
Yeah, we actually, I mean, you don't know. He actually had a cameo on The Simpsons, uh, but his character also uh, in the show wore a bag over his head. Uh, yeah, very, <laughs> very interesting guy. Very interesting guy. But anyway, I um, and you know, they, they were a group that. So yeah, I felt I was a part of that group, and I kept hearing from everyone who was a big fan, and I can see this myself. You got to watch it again. You got to watch it again. Um, and I brought this up to you, and you were like, you know, yeah, I can totally see that point. However, also, I don't, I'm not really sure I would want to subject myself to it again because it was legitimately very boring. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember saying that. Now, thank you for reminding me about yeah, that cool thing I said. I was like, you know, I might I, get it more, but I don't think it'll be any less boring. It won't be a, necessarily a better film. You might just be able to follow the plot mechanics more closely. Um, but that won't make it a more engaging experience. And, and I had to kind of reassess. I'm like, am I, I am kind of just saying that I would give it a second watch. If this film didn't get the praise it had gotten, I wouldn't ever say that. I would just <laughs> right? to write it and move on. Well, and that's kind of but, the point of these of a, of a segment like that or, or a podcast, if you will, like that to say, you know, try to find out, try to find out what you're missing, if anything. Well, that's the thing. I uh, I would love to hear. I because I never felt like I got a satisfying uh, take on it from a, a fan of that movie of what really made it tick. And downfall, my coworker. I don't know. So when that, I, when I... That's why I'm almost like you know. That, that's why I kind of love our on the contrary segments when. Oh yeah, we because we get to hear present. from the other side right there. You know. Right, we we get an unconventional point of view as opposed to just saying, "Well, okay, I'll suffer. I'll subject. I'll suffer is a, a, an appropriate <laughs> word. I will subject my. You're watching a fucking movie. I will subject myself to it again, and, and in the hopes of gleaning something of value from it, uh, it, just because people told me I should. And that's not to say that a, a film experience can't be completely enhanced by a second viewing. Actually. Uh, another PTA film is maybe my most complete 180 flip flop experience ever. Uh, watching it a second time, and that's The Master. Um, uh, because the first time I saw it, I, I felt very disappointed. I felt like it was uh, way over long and drab. Incredible performances and some like honestly the best some of the best scenes I ever seen in a movie, uh, like the the processing scenes, but kind of adrift in this like in you know just totally impenetrable period piece that i just couldn't find again i couldn't find a way into it um and then i watched it again and i realized that that i remembered every single scene um and that every single one felt important and i knew what its role was and i was just so much more uh engaged with it uh once i had known you know instead of being a fictionalization and a parody of Scientology that it's actually this ex, you know it, it's a look at America's identity crisis post World War II um, and the consequences of that I found it a much more beautiful and interesting film and now it's actually one of my favorite films of the last 10 years um, nearly the masterpiece that there will be blood is not quite but um, you know it's up there for me it's a high bar <laughs> it, it's, it's a high bar but I genuinely think it's a masterpiece and uh you know would not have had that experience if i just left it at the first at the first watch and i, I was not alone ebert gave it only two and a half stars uh, the first time he saw it 
I, I don't think he reassessed it, but but I mean, uh, he has, and other critics have reassessed movies like The Shining, like uh, AI, yeah. artificial intelligence. Right. Got a lot uh, of po- a lot of praise post release that people have given it this second watch. So I mean, it it happens. Could right, it happen definitely. to us? I don't know. So um, I guess it's just, so. We're, I, mean, I mean, we're very far away from the the it trailer, but <laughs> it brings up well, a good point. It's a little okay. Fine, just consider this a little editorial as our as our opening. I think it's a fine. Well, I uh, like editorials better than uh, news pieces. Yes. We're not. What are we reporters? Are we, no. We're breaking the story. Uh, I mean, you're right. Technically, the entire podcast is editorial. So, um, all right. Uh, but anyway, well, what were we talking about with the it trailer? It, well. Um, it's scary. It looks scary, and I hate clowns. So. <laughs> it looks scary. I hate clowns. Ten minutes later, we got it. Mostly, yeah. I I wanted to point out one. People are very quick to like jump down the throat of this trailer and of any trailer for a remake of a classic. You know, of course, you know, oh, movies are dead. Hollywood's only remakes now. This remake sucks. It's nothing like the original. It's nothing like the book. And there's where I'm like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, adaptations don't have to be faithful to the source material. They just don't, and oftentimes they're better for it. Case in point, it itself, (laughs) where the book literally has a child orgy in the sewers. I was, I mean, look, I was very much hoping that it did because I have not read it, James, and you kept referring to a child orgy, and I was really hoping. That oh you, you, oh you didn't know that <laughs> no I didn't know that so I'm glad to see that it came from a place that's not your own disgusting head no no there is actually a child Beverly the character Beverly from it she like to calm everyone down she has sex with like the five or six boys each of them in the in the sewer to calm them down and the book even specifies that she only has an orgasm with two of them wow. Yes, Stephen King is the voice of a generation, isn't he? <laughs> yes, and Stephen King, of course, was—I'm sure irate that this wasn't included in the adaptation. <laughs> God, no one can get his movies right except, uh, of course, the director of the Shining miniseries. <laughs> God, did you watch that clip I sent you? Of I, I've watched the miniseries, James. Oh no, I've watched the miniseries too. Um, but I just oh, like but, that like highlight just, clip of all the most yes. like cringeworthy moments of the guy who yeah, played Jack. It's, it's ridiculous, and, and yeah, he is legitimately that terrible. He's <laughs> really bad. Um, it's a terrible Jack Torrance. Well, and that's um, another that's that's the actual case in point, which is to say, The Shining. Like the the movie is essentially a big middle finger to the book, The Shining. That being said, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> it's, it's it's a masterpiece of the horror genre, arguably the best film, uh, you know, one of the if not the best horror film ever made. So, yeah, I mean, and so it's take like your take your pick. I mean, fidelity to the source material or artistic license. I know Stephen King's stance on this; he hates the, the Shining film, but I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I don't always think an author is necessarily the best. Uh, judge of their own adap- the adaptations of their works. <laughs> That's for sure, and, and just the idea that you know you don't have to strict adherence to to the source material isn't a virtue in and of itself. It's just a fact. You know, if right. you achieve it, then you achieved it. It does not say anything about the quality of the of the movie. You know, it's like I, I've had this conversation. I can't remember on air, but it's that confusion between best and most. You know. <laughs> 
if it's yeah. like if it's like best adapted screenplay, it's the best screenplay that was adapted from a source material. If you were to say the most adapted or the most adaptive screenplay, that is to say, how closely did it adhere to the source material? And that doesn't fucking matter. It's not, I think we were actually I think we were talking about that in relation to The Shining because I was kind of going back and forth whether I, I should call it the best horror film ever made. Because on the one hand, it, it, it's possibly the most uh, you know artistically well conceived. It's got maybe the most to read into it. It's uh, definitely one of the most, you know, genre-defining films. Like you know, one that didn't feel confined by the, you know, rigid tropes of the genre before that point, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of defined it in subsequent decades in film. Uh, on the other hand, it's one that. I don't think that someone who's necessarily a horror fan is going to gravitate toward the most. Um, it would probably be, you know, it would, it would probably mean more to a film critic than it would to an adroit horror fanatic. Well, yeah. I mean, like me in, in high school, you know, just coming into college was not a big fan of the shining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how I was wrong. <laughs> you know, okay. I was a bigger fan of like the more visceral, uh, Sure. Horror films at the time, and that's not really something you get from The Shining. So The Shining is not the scariest. It's not the most horrifying. Someone, movie, uh, but someone it might was, be the best. It, yeah, exactly. And someone was to, uh, who who would also kind of fall into that you know more of a horror fan camp. Uh, uh, he uh, James Rolfe actually was in a massacre. Uh, he uh, was doing a review of The Shining, and. Uh, I, I can't help but laugh every time I see this part in the movie. He, he plays the, he, you know, his criticism is like, you know, sometimes they'll just be, he was positive on the film overall, but he was, you know, sometimes they'll try and scare you over nothing. And then it plays the scene where Wendy and Danny are walking through the maze and there's, you know, creepy music behind them. <laughs> and then suddenly he just cuts with like that, you know, that <clears throat> music and yep. it says Tuesday. And he's just like, Oh no, not Tuesday. <laughs> my god <laughs> and now every time i see that bit in the film i can't help but laugh no i mean it's funny they do that. that's definitely one of the nitpicks i've had because i mean you don't you don't know the significance like it's acting like it's, it's significant days, that, the, that time is passing i i actually think it's kind of interesting because you know that the, the entire point is to disorient and by keeping the the I don't know. I feel like putting in the days of the week is almost a a, a joke in and of itself <laughs> because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. For and all we know, definitely more Tuesday. time has passed than just like the days. Right. Know? So for all we know, it's a Tuesday five, three months from, you know, the, yeah. the we don't know. And uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just kind of the semblance of, of orientation that doesn't actually do anything for you. So you can nitpick it. I, I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those nitpicks are, are fun, but they don't really mean anything. And yeah. so that's really my whole take on it is that it doesn't have to be a faithful adaptation to be a good movie. Uh, stop shitting on it just because it's a remake. Uh, granted, come October or September, whenever this is coming out, I might be shitting on it, but not based on its, but not yeah, based never, on what I've seen thus far, and not based on its adherence yeah. to the source material. I mean, I haven't really heard any legitimate criticisms of the trailer. It, it doesn't. It, it's a solid horror trail trailer. It looks, uh, you know, properly Stephen King. 
and properly cinematic at the same time. So uh, I don't I don't really see uh, any issue with that. My only nitpick was the uh, there's, there's a few lines from the kids where you know because a cup at least one of them is a veteran from Stranger Things and it's weird calling it a child a veteran. <laughs> a veteran. <laughs> um, but you know they're they're, they're from uh, you know at least one of them is from Stranger Things. And I you know Stranger Things taking a lot of inspiration from Stephen King. Uh, the dynamic between the kids in that show is so wonderful that I, I, it felt way more natural than the the few clips of the children interacting that we saw in the trailer. So uh, I was, you know, a little let down by that. But again, that's could just turn out to be the nittiest of picks. <laughs> the nittiest of picks. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Anyways, are you in a safe space? A safe space where you could tell Let's me about this. Beauty and the Beast, yeah, or shall I tell I, you about life first? No, I think I'm safe right now. We'll do this quick. Um, okay. okay. So, yes, this was quite a scene. We so what's we this saw one about? It. Well, it's no. a <laughs> go on. It's a tale as old as time. Um, and uh, it, so here's the thing, though. The question isn't that, you know obviously isn't what it was it about, but the question is. What is this film's relation with the animated classic? Um, and, I mean, if we were doing a whole episode on this, I was going to make you watch the old Jean Cocteau French version. Of course uh, you were. <laughs> introduce that into the conversation. I really wish I would have, but uh, we are not going to do that, so I'm just going to restrict conversation to the to the Disney realm. Um, so, and that, of course, makes sense, because that's the film that it's in closest conversation with. What is this film's relationship with the original animated film and from my gathering it was at various times and 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 i think fundamentally trying to simply be a live action adaptation of cells from the movie i think they were trying to recreate like not not, not just the story but moments shots mm. uh uh, you know, lines of dialogue for people who had seen this movie multiple times and who, who knew lines by heart, uh, which I am one of those people. And so is my girlfriend. I, I think that the original Beauty and the Beast is one of the best animated films ever made. Um, it's probably it was, it was my, the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture. It was, and, and the only one when it was only five nominees. Uh, it's possible it would be the only one ever nominated still if... Uh, <laughs> If, if they we didn't extend it. it, I mean, Wally didn't get a nomination, so I don't understand how Spirited. Well, I guess Spirited Away is foreign, and, and uh, if, if being animated wasn't already a handicap, being foreign as well is <laughs> is just a, a nail in the coffin. Um, so you know, a lot of prestige around this movie, which is interesting because it, the other live action Disney animated films don't really have that, um, and because of that, I think you had a more you had filmmakers who felt they had more flexibility with what they were able to present. And I've actually been, uh, if not like a, a head over heels with the Disney live action a- adaptation so far, um, I've really enjoyed them. Uh, at least well, I was just about I to ask, you know, how does this compare maybe in terms of the same things you're talking about with uh, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella? Right. See that one. Okay. So ironically, uh, a film that I think at its very nature is more, repressive and stuffy uh with yeah, i mean just cinderella is a repressive and stuffy story um 
I actually think that film felt more comfortable in its own skin, uh, if, if that makes any sense. I felt like Kenneth Branagh, um, he, he I, I felt like he was given room to breathe, and he felt like his opulent style really benefited the Cinderella story and it made something that seemed to have its own identity, but at the same time, wasn't a drastic reevaluation or reworking or revisionist version of the fairy tale. It was more or less played straight, which Kenneth Branagh is in general, really doing Oh my God, in general, really good at doing that's kind of his, <laughs> that's kind of his, uh, one of his signatures and all of his uh, his works, he you know started off doing Shakespeare productions, and they were more or less played straight. Moved up maybe a couple decades from when the, or a couple centuries, I should say, from when the plays are supposed to be set. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, you know, kind of, uh, you know, no crazy reworkings, but no, but just big, bombastic, and opulent. That's what he did with Cinderella. I thought it worked. Um, Jungle Book, I thought had you know a lot of John Favreau's humanity injected into it it's uh again nothing revolutionary but i got into that story i honestly can remember it now at this point probably better than i can remember the original animated classic and I, <laughs> actually that's true i'm gonna back you up on well, that yeah, right, right there and I, but i think it's kind of the point though these were properties where disney you know people everyone knew that they're disney movies but they don't have this sort of deep emotional and almost fanatic connection to it that they have with something like Beauty and the Beast. And if they, you know, still, if, if the talk is to be believed, The Lion King, uh, and by that I mean the talk to, that they're going to adapt that into a live action oh. film. <laughs> I think John Favreau is signed on for that one as well, although I don't know how, I don't know if that's still the case. Um, anyway, it, Disney's getting into their 90s territories, and... The thing about their 90s territories is that the people who grew up with those and who know them by heart and who are fervently devoted to them are at this point in the the prime age bracket to spend money on a live action adaptation of it. Uh, So I think what Disney – I think is I felt like Disney knew more what to do with Cinderella and the Jungle Book than it knew what to do with Beauty and the Beast because on the one hand – they were trying to literally just put that just film those characters film that animation put real people in that position and not really add much to it and there's a fair audience that would be satisfied with that um two things though one it doesn't have the precision and the beauty and the you know the, the shut up the <laughs> The, These are my contributions to your detailed uh, yeah, segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the exacting use of color and the. Um, I, I mean, th- there are details about the uh, originally animated film that are so precise. Like, for example, one. Uh, this is not my observation, but I, I think it's been pointed out several times over the years. Uh, like, uh, Belle in the animated film uh, is the only character uh, until she meets the Beast who ever wears blue in that movie uh makes her stand out from the crowd it 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 others her a bit just visually uh give it makes her in contrast to the town that she's trying to escape from it works visually it's, it's very poignant it's it's a it's a good and subtle way to communicate that and 
you know, not not too uh, attention grabbing or in your face. Um, the the film has no eye for such nuance. Uh, every, it's, it's just bright, pretty colors to hold your attention. Blues are scattered throughout. There's not really any particular uh, rhyme or reason to why things are, why certain colors are used here and there. Um, and that's the thing. With Kenneth Branagh, he's opulent as well, but his opulence kind of has a method to it. Uh, it has a motivation behind it. This is kind of just like... I mean, it just felt like dangling keys in front of your your audience. It just felt like <laughs> you give them something pretty to look at. Um, Emma and, Watson, and and give yeah, and, <laughs> and and give them lip service. Uh, give lip service to their favorite moments from Beauty and the Beast, but it, without the essence that made them special. Um, Emma Watson herself is you know, I think was a uh, an inspired choice to play Belle. I don't think that she was used as well as she could have been. I don't think that... But I mean, as soon as she was really cast, I knew the the internet was going to love this movie, so... <laughs> exactly, and that's kind of why I'm, you know, you're making an enemy of it if you shit on her performance. And I will say this, I don't necessarily think it, that the flaw was with her natural talents. I think that it, it, it felt like someone who was just, was not given proper direction and was told to emulate the bell from the animated film and who was really doing nothing more than imitation. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of when, um, hearing Mark when Mark Hamill first got the job of the Joker, like the nice. first thing that he received from producers, directors, whatever was a piece of paper that said, don't think Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, do and, not and, do Jack Nicholson. Well, and I feel like that's almost every single I mean, that's almost every single iteration of that character it has then, had right? to up. Well, yeah, and, and think about the, just the line of history. Every single person who's portrayed that role has had to contend with an incredibly memorable performance before them. Cesar Romero, we could laugh at him now, but that was iconic at the yeah. time. I'm sure, mean, Leta, be, uh, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Tim Burton had to tell Nicholson, don't do Cesar Romero. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm sure Christopher Nolan had to tell Heath Ledger in not so many words, don't do Mark Hamill. Like, it's. And then David Ayer told Jared Leto. Uh, do, do Heath Ledger. People love do it. Do Heath Ledger as best as you can. But don't, like, uh, put uh, anything behind uh, it. Do Heath Ledger. Um, and no need to stop that cocaine binge you're on right now. Just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We'll, we'll edit it in post. Um, but yes, exactly. So there's there's always uh, this this relationship, and the thing with Belle is there's, you know, that that it it, it looks like Emma Watson didn't get that memo, is is my point, and and that would be fine if she could embody that exact character in the exact same way that uh, you know the the original animated film was able to encapsulate. Uh, she can't, and the the scenes where that really. I think hurts the film in particular is in her relationship with the beast, hmm. which feels so, I mean, it's, it's so some, I mean, someone made a good point that it's, um, actually it's, it, I keep, I keep citing other reviewers, but I want to make sure that I'm not stealing ideas and not giving credit where credit's due. I, I believe it was, uh, uh, Lindsay Ellis, the critic whose video on Mad Max I sent to you and that sent you. Oh here. yeah, that, that was a good video. Good yeah. channel too. Look she's, her up. She's, a, she's got phenomenal. We'll have channel. you on our show. Oh, <laughs> I, I kind of fan 
I, I kind of fanboy out about that. I've, she's one of my favorite reviewers on the internet, but um, she, uh, I'm sorry, hold on. I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, uh, she pointed out that, uh, you know, it, at least in this iteration, uh, the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast, it's, it's the Beast's story because essentially he's the one who goes, he's the one who has an arc. Uh, and yeah. Belle essentially stays the same. It, it's not really about her. You know, at older iterations of the fairy tale, it's more about Belle trying to, uh, you know, learning to see the beauty within. Uh, but that's never really a problem for for Disney Belle. It's more, you know, the the this this gradual, you know, the non dickishness that the Beast has has to adopt, and this relationship that blooms between them. And uh, so, pacing that out properly is really important. And you would think that a, a film that's a bit longer and actually has a few more scenes in it that add kind of pointless expository context um that doesn't go anywhere it you would think that it would be more you know it, it would have more there that it would be more uh more well developed and it's somehow not it just feels robotic and choppy and it, it there's not really a progression of emotions from one scene to another it just kind of cuts at one point oh they she likes him now Hmm. They're 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 reading in a garden together, and suddenly she's super friendly and happy with him. And, and Stockholm it's syndrome, man. It's not Stockholm. Actually, she's just uh, uh, Lindsay posted a video about why, uh, basically taking down that stupid assertion <laughs> that human beasts about Stockholm syndrome. Um, as a ardent fan of the you know animated classic, so. Yeah, I I don't think that her performance delivers in the way it needed to. And I, I don't know, just so much of this film felt like it was, you know, just there, not utilized properly. Um, a celebrity cameo or, um, you know, just, just some sort of fancy piece of furniture that was meant to make the scene more bright and colorful, but but not really add anything of, of substance to the film. Um, but one thing I learned after I saw the film is that it, it actually one of the co-stars, or I guess one of the supporting players, uh, is one of the most awarded... Uh, Audra, Mc, uh, Audra McDonald is one of the most awarded um, Broadway performers huh. alive today. Well, and, cool. Uh, known for her singing voice, and the extent of where, what she... She sings half of a song and spends the rest of the film as a silly wardrobe that uh, belts out comedic operatic notes and then falls asleep all the time so given that's given the standard though you could say that she steals the show right all right james tell me about life <laughs> i didn't want to force the transition if you weren't done so no 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 i i really am done that, that that's about all i have to say um it's it's not incompetently made but it's soulless and i mm. i really didn't dig it you know, maybe that's kind of how I felt about, uh, which a lot of people didn't agree with me. I think yourself included, but that's how I felt about um, uh, Leo DiCaprio, uh, Baz Luhrmann, Great Gatsby. Yes. Great Gatsby. I was like, Gah, Gah, the Gah, Gah, the Gah. 
The Great Gatsby. Uh, that's how I felt yes, about Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby. I didn't really feel like there was a lot behind it, but uh, I'm in the minority. Fair. Look, that, that's uh, ironically how I feel about most of Baz's work, and uh, Great Gatsby is actually a happy exception in my book. So <laughs> uh, it, it's possible that I'm just kind of glazing over with that one, and I, I need to see it again. Uh, Second watch. It, uh, a second watch, you know, maybe. Uh, but in this case, I'm saying maybe I'll hate it more. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? And maybe I'll love it. We'll, we'll just flip flop. It'll be great. So, yes. life. What is it? What's the secret? Uh, who are we? <laughs> um, just, I mean, not that it needs it, but the movie that I'm about to talk about it doesn't have, doesn't tackle half questions with half that weight again doesn't mm. need to that's not a point of criticism yeah, no. um life is wants to be a successor in a way a spiritual successor to ridley scott's alien which i should really say like like hr geiger hr geiger is that right sure. yeah yeah hr geiger yeah you know, we'll accept either they're probably both wrong <laughs> Geiger. I'll just say Geiger. I should say Geiger's alien, because uh, Ridley Scott was really brought on well after the movie was already underway. Well, I look. It's 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 uh, Alien is a is a wonderful film because lots of talented people worked on it, including Scott, including Geiger, um, including uh, the screenwriters whose names I'm trying to look up now because I I can't find the book. Is it a bullshit that we remember? It, it's a well-regarded uh, Dan O'Bannon. Uh, and it's 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 a well-remembered screenplay by Dan O'Bannon. Uh, it's it's not an auteur film. It's a it's just a well-crafted movie that assumes the skin of a of a B monster flick, which is kind of what was cool about the 70s is you you had this relationship to B cinema, but you had so much talent and ingenuity and and cleverness and Hollywood clout being put behind it. So, yeah, I mean, and, and Life too similarly has a great like s- screenplay cast, I, mean, I should say. Yeah, it, it's, it's written by the, these are this is by the guys who did Deadpool by yeah, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Deadpool himself, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I mean, it's a it's a respected cast. Uh, Rebecca, oh wait, actually, Rebecca who else Ferguson? is in it? Yeah, she's in it as well, right? She is, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, a, a respected cast. So, you know, there's some weight, despite despite the March release, there's some weight behind this movie. Yes, definitely. And so uh, I, but I mean, honestly, I wasn't expecting much looking at the trailer, wasn't expecting much. And, and so I, I actually got a lot more than I, I got a lot more than I feared, I will say, um, hey. because while it's not nearly something like Alien, it's kind of a a B movie version of it. I would say, and yeah, a B movie version of an A movie version of a B movie. <laughs> yes, that's essentially what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, so so I mean, like Alien is sort of a was sort of had the ambitions and and it sort of had the ambitions of a B movie with the talent of an A movie. Um, yeah, might be the might be the best thing I, I would say I would say for it. Um, and I don't 
think the opposite necessarily is true for life that you know it's not (laughs) because i don't think it had really a movie ambitions it just sort of like had knew it wanted to be a b movie got b movie people to do it and then made a b movie out of it and no one i know who's actually seen it is really at all upset by it (laughs) no no not at all i mean i actually i had a similar experience than i did to a movie that i thought was going to be horseshit like absolute dog dookie last year was uh money monster i thought i was going to hate that movie so much but it actually turned out to be a pretty good like a pretty decent thriller and that's really what i'm my takeaway from life is it's it gets kind of stupid and contrived um and the characters are for absolute shit i mean I can count on um, Jake Gyllenhaal, I guess, is, was pretty cool. Um, but you get everything from him that from from dialogue. He talks about how, you know, because they want to stay topical. He talks about how, how many, he fought many, in Syria or whatever like that, or he was helping out in Syria. And I'm like, oh, you're dropping but, but, buzzwords but, that we're going to understand. And Before even going into it, because, you know, I'm probably – we're getting it out of the way now, so I'm probably not going to see it before mm-hmm. – if I see it at all, it'll be when it's out on home like media. VOD, and, yeah. yeah, and I'm already preparing a drinking game in, in which I take a sip every time, or I take a shot every time uh, someone references a fan, their family, or, or oh god, you're gonna be fucking miss. wasted, right? <laughs> Jesus I'm like, Christ! Oh god! Like you know how you know how the you know one of the hackier scenes in Gravity is Sandra Bullock talking about her daughter, and it's still very sad and poignant because it's pretty much just the one scene. Um, oh yeah, no, and I actually like her line when she when she actually reveals just how her daughter died, and she was like, "Yeah, just stupidest thing." Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like, Damn. This, you know, it's 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 contrite. Or, I'm sorry, it's it's a bit trite, I should say. But uh, <laughs> I think I combined contrived and trite. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Right. Uh, but a contrite, I'm, it also is a word. So it is a word. Yeah, but that's why I said contrite. Anyway, um, uh, it's. Uh, but, you know, it, it's limited to that one scene, and there's a lot of emotion behind it, and that's it. They, they just kind of left it there as a bit of a motivator for her character. Um, and I don't feel like this film would have that kind of restraint. I, I yeah, I, I'm just like, I, I figure they'll be all over the place, and it sounds like from your response that I am not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, every one of these motherfuckers has a family, and and this is also one of the one of the things about about B movies a lot is that they kind of waste their most interesting characters. Like there's like a really cool uh, character here, a uh, scientist um, who, who you don't know from the trailers, but you actually find out that he's uh, crippled. Like he can't, he can't walk, but now he's in space in zero G's where that literally doesn't matter. Oh my God. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm like, that is so cool. And they, they waste like, they waste him entirely. Like they use maybe like five minutes of exploration to, in total uh, as to you know what's going through this guy's mind. Instead, Ryan Reynolds is stealing the show, aka spoiler alert, dying in the first twenty minutes. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. This is you told me before the show. I uh, I hope no one listening is is mad. Hey, I gave us. I gave like a half a second spoiler alert. Okay, so it's on you. All right, audience. <laughs> oh, th- th- those are your words. I'm just putting. They're just coming out of my mouth. And you're saying them back to me, so. So it's the circular saying of the words, <laughs> and that's on you. <laughs> so uh, I mean, yeah, and there's of course, 
the the alien in this is pretty cool. You know, I'm kind of on, I, I'm a little bit on the fence of it, but I'm definitely falling on the on the pretty cool side. And I, th- I think the only part of it I've seen. And I'm sorry for interrupting you. I, you, you, you know, motherfucker, I hate you. you, so you much. Well, well, I mean, it's. I mean, look, I have not seen this, and as a result, have virtually nothing to bring to it. But I, I do have questions as someone who hasn't seen it, and yeah, I, no, I, I will answer them. from uh, uh, from the trailers. It, the only bit I've seen is it as this like kind of spermy looking thing. Yeah, this just like this little growing plant almost. This mm-hmm. tiny little petri dish motherfucker, and so I, it, you know, it, it good on him because it, it, you know there's definitely the implication that's going to grow into something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but that shape, e- even more so than alien, you can't tell what it's going to grow into. <laughs> no, so, so it sort of, it sort of like flops around eventually. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So it it, it keeps growing and it turns into sort of this like translucent manatee type thing is the best I could say. And it kind of like, uh, flops around, flies around sometimes like, uh, have you ever been to a skating rink? You get those like, like sticky things, those sticky pieces of rubber that like stick to walls. Reminded me of that a lot. (laughs) Um, Okay. But you know, it, it was amazing to me though, that they were able to, cause they were, as I said, this was a pretty like, you know, thrilling in at least a B movie way, uh, movie. And, it was amazing that they're able to do that with something that for most of the movie is about the size of a, of a dinner plate. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's, not, it's not a very imposing thing, but right. we've seen it like murder things pretty efficiently by about halfway through the movie. And it's able to scare us with something that if you just, if I just like saw it on the floor, I think it was like some gunk, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so good on them for that. And that's why I think, it's less the monster itself, the alien itself, more than how they, more than how it was used. And okay, because I will say this, James: uh, every single description of that monster you gave uh, made me less excited to see the movie. Right? Oh, it's like so, a manatee. So it's a manatee just flopping around. Uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like flopping around on the walls and yeah, like a like. Little piece of rubber that you get at the skating rink. So, so flubber. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit like flubber, I suppose, but it doesn't um, like change its shape or anything like that. So, so flubber is more cool and badass than this alien. <laughs> a little, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one of Robin Williams' masterpieces. Um, it is one of Robin Williams' underrated works. No, it's not, but it's very fun. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know if no, I can join you not, with that. Okay, it's not good, but I wouldn't turn it off if it was on TV. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. It's fine. Um, yeah, you know, I think, because I think the guy who played uh, uh, Kent Mansley, or is it Chet Mansley? I can't remember. Either uh, name is terrible. No, that's the, that's the best name in, in Iron Giant. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Chet Mansley, it might be Kent Mansley. It's actually pretty funny. But that's like no. the that's like the most like awesome cheesy manly name ever. Yeah. Okay. Only if it's intended sardonically. Yeah. It is. It's Kent. Kent Mansley. Kent, Kent Mansley. Okay. Kent great. Mansley. Work for the government. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Rings a bell now. 
Yeah. So and he was in Flubber, so that's why I would want to see it again. I want to see Kent Mansley doing some more sinister shit. <laughs> yeah. So no, you're right. I mean, it's like all in all, I'm not dealing with the the most creatively designed guy, but it, that makes it all the more impressive that they're able to create thrills with it. But again, and then just how they how they uh, they kind of contrive these situations though, because there are times where it seems like the alien is good enough, strong enough to just, like, murder everybody, but instead he just, like, fucks off for a little bit, and then, you know, they have to think of a plan to how to stop it, and then it does or doesn't, or kind of works, and then he fucks off again, and then they they do it again. So, And then the decision-making, of course, kind of falls really through when you're just like, wait, what, what, why are you... The obvious. This is obviously a bad idea. I can I can give you two reasons right now at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I'm not sad. I watched it. I just like I wouldn't say yeah. Go out. Go out and see life. Okay. So yeah, not a non recommendation from you as well. Although it sounds pretty innocuous. Like if yeah, you, if you found yourself in a theater watching life. <laughs> You know, you could be in worse places. You, you'll probably have a good time. <coughs> yeah, and, and I will say this. Um, if you are, you know, someone like someone like my girlfriend. Who, someone who Mike loves very much. Who I love dearly, who basically would have been happy with anything that Disney put out with Beauty and the Beast as long as it, you know, looks like the animated film and uses the same lines and songs as the animated film. Uh, it, it basically, if you go, if you've been waiting for this movie for a year and a half, you'll, you'll probably be happy. <laughs> you'll, you'll love it. If you're a cynical jaded asshole, you'll see it as the cynical jaded cash grab that it, that it is. <laughs> it's called being a cynical asshole. <laughs> oh no. I can't oh, help but I this, have cynicism. There's new fucking songs too. Like there's there's actually okay. That's the worst fuck. Okay, if I were to if I were to just highlight it because I I think I've just been expressing a, a tone of general annoyance at the film, mm-hmm. which is generally accurate. Um, if 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 you want to uh, reference something that's just gonna make you fly off the fucking handle, it's the new songs they added. There's about three. Um, they're all terrible. Uh, but one of them is actually like offensive to me on a story level. Um. So, James, are you familiar with the original animated film Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 uh, like... well the, the Disney one, James. Yeah, the yeah, Disney. the animated one. Yes, the animated. Uh, the, the, I said animated. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, I know. Okay, I just... okay. okay. Yours anyway. is, uh, original animated is... Sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, well, you see, James, there's an old French animated version as well. And uh, it, it... I'm sorry. I'm joking. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, so... You know the the scene after the iconic ballroom dance when the beast lets Belle look into a mirror to see where what became of her father, and she finds out that uh, you know he's I think jailed for being crazy, and she has to go back to him, and he lets her go after you know this this moment you know he hesitates for a moment looks at the rose realizes he doesn't have much time left but that he cares about her more uh than himself at that point and says yeah yeah, yeah go scene. it's a great scene and uh part of what 
part of why it's a great scene is because there's this sense of like there's this sense of loss there it, it's or at least a risk the beast is saying look if, if she doesn't come back i i want her to be happy i i want her to be free um and i you know again i care about her more than i care about myself it, there's a sacrifice in a way um here's the thing that scene plays out generally the same way except you know that none of the same beautiful emotions or subtleties are there but it, it the plot points play out mm. and then Belle's leaving on horseback and instead of just cutting the beast sings a song mm. that is not a song that reflects and any kind of emotional conflict or sadness or or even elation that bell is free now he sings about how he can't wait and is so confident that she will come back to him that completely undermines the sacrifice he made it totally and here's what kills me every time i mention that song and this is the one part of the film i'm like unabashedly will rage at (laughs) including kelsey and they all think i'm overreacting i say poppycock that is ruining the fundamental beauty the 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 tragedy about that scene the tragedy the sadness the next time we see the beast after that point gaston's shooting an arrow at him but when when gaston enters the room the beast is like kind of you know curled in a you know he's curled on the ground and he looks defeated already and that's kind of the you know that's the really tragic part about that final confrontation is that the beast was kind of ready to give up anyway. And, and it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a powerful unspoken emotional state that he's in. And, uh, that gives that scene its poignance, its drama and, uh, completely undermines it in this movie. I just had to, I just had to name that sequence because as a, like I said, on a story level, it just rattles my bones. It, it truly, truly offended me and, and made me kind of think that, you know, this is why I feel like so much of the film didn't didn't have its soul. Where you know, <laughs> It understood the motions of the original film, but didn't understand any of the emotions. Ah. Ah. Gotcha there. You're a regular Roger Ebert. Ah-ha-ha. Uh, uh, Crash was the best film of twenty fifth two of two thousand five. You're an irregular, paid off Roger Ebert. <laughs> uh, uh, so, anyway, as Forrest Gump would say, that's that's all I have to say about that. Oh. And speaking of Roger Ebert, Ninety Nine Homes was dedicated to him, which uh, makes sense. Uh, I that uh, the director had a very close connection with Roger Ebert who, again, kind of put his name on the map and uh, with his review of Man Pushes Cart. And, uh, and yeah, was even interviewed for Life Itself. Hmm. Life Itself. So uh, are we doing that, or uh, are we going to do I'm Not Your Negro next? Ooh. We should probably just do 99 Homes, I think. Okay, let's do it. I, think, um, I, do, I do want to talk about I'm Not Your Negro, but, man, that, actually, would be a, that would be a loaded episode. I, I, Oh, are we not going to do it at all this episode? Oh no, I, I would think that I would I would think we could save it. I don't know if you want to, save let's it. do it. No, nope, no, nope, let's save it. I I, I could pro- I probably only have one meaningful conversation left in me anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, let's do yeah, let's do just ninety nine. Let's then. do right now. Um, forgotten favorite segment. 
99 Homes, and we will save I Am Not Your Negro for another time. Really want to talk about That's it. But, uh, um, I, I, you know, I think it's, it won't stop being relevant, and it's kind of one of those films that didn't have a strong release. So, actually, I could, I could still go see it in theaters right now. Oh, wow. No, I cannot. So. Isn't that weird? I know. Like, it, it not, I know I and you can't see fucking The Salesman? Ugh. I can't. It's true. Um, to be fair, though, I only have really one option to see it if I wanted to in theaters. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's it's not great, but I could. So, um, so yeah, again, uh, for uh, anyone who hasn't been caught up on our New Year's resolution, uh, we are recommitting to our, our third uh, our third segments of forgotten favorites. Um, that's what we've, I mean, and also on the contrary and whatnot, but so far it's just, just been films that one or the other of us has seen that we really just want to bring more attention to. That no one's really talking about. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I want either. on the contrary to come a little bit more naturally than like, okay, let's think of a movie that we really don't like and, or that really do, or that we really do like that other people don't like. That's, it's a lot more, feels a lot more forced where it's like a, a lot of our other on the contrary, it sort of came like, I was like, wow, you know, I'm really watching this movie Pain and Gain, and I, I like it a lot more than I think um, a lot of other people do. So let's put this well, forward. Yeah, well, the thing is, um, I, I think we've kind of abandoned any, uh, we, we, we've abandoned any sense of needing to connect it at all with the main film we're talking about, or films in this case. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, we used to do that too. And that which would... is fine, we don't need to, um, although if it does, all the better for it, I think, but I... I uh, I'm okay with it. It was weird at first. And it's like, James, why are we, because uh, I mentioned, um, what was the, the first one we did? It was, uh, Holly motors. And yeah. I just name dropped it and said, Hey, we should incorporate this at some point. And I was kind of intending to save it for later in the year when we were kind of getting into the weird foreign meta films that always tend to come out and kind of put it in conversation with one of those. Uh, but no, you're just like, no, let's just do it this week. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And it worked out pretty great i think <laughs> yeah so you know i don't th- really think there's a lot of virtue so to speak in making it connect i mean there ca- definitely can be you know if, it, if something strikes us again if it comes naturally then then go for it but otherwise we've just been creating a list of movies that we are gonna do for a forgotten favorite one that i put forward then goes to mike and we're basically with trade turns uh, yep. trade episodes uh until we run out of fucking movies that people forget about which and then let me we'll tell you ain't gonna about. happen nope um yeah i actually already have mine picked up for uh, for next time oh yeah i mean i thought uh, oh are we just, or are we gonna go down that list in order oh, no not no we can we can go in order i just thought okay good we should do if uh, it's a new one you should tell me about it though <laughs> oh no it's one i mentioned but we should definitely do uh uh the lives of others the lives of others. I don't see this on this list, so okay, I'll do it. I told you about it. I texted I'm sorry, you. I don't I don't listen to you. I, I don't trusted you. <laughs> I don't take your opinion seriously. I you know? ate my underwear. <laughs> the lives of others. I'm writing it in right now. You can hear that clicking, and then I'm hitting save. Boom. It's on the list. Oh thank God. <laughs> thank God. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think I want to maybe I'll maybe publish this list. So if you want, you can follow along. You can watch these movies as we're watching them. But again, it may not be in this order. So <laughs> yeah. just watch them all. <laughs> just watch them. It's surprise homework. Yeah, I right. don't know which one we're going to quiz you on. 
you know, finals cumulative, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So glad I'm out of college. Uh, well, so right now, today, 99 homes. I saw this. This actually came out the same year as The Big Short, which got obviously got a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I always – I remember that when I pitched this segment, part of it was always to say – that you have to you have to show that this movie is forgotten, but a lot of times it's really easy to do that. We just sort of gloss over that segment, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. And I think Ninety Nine Homes is definitely one of those cases that you didn't hear about this movie. I promise. I remember when it came out to the theater that I was I was near when it debuted. It was at one showtime per day <laughs> at, at its debut. That wasn't the tail end of its, of its theatrical run. That was, Oh, it's in theaters right now at one showtime a day. And uh, fittingly, it made $1.9 million against an $8 million budget. Thank you. Wikipedia. Uh, so wait, how many $1.9 million? I guess an $8 million budget. Yes. Oh my so God. It I think didn't we make a quarter of its budget back. You had told me that, but that's, uh, I think I forgot how depressing it was. Right. Um, so, but I compare it to the big short because the comparison is obvious. It deals with a, it deals with the, uh, housing crisis that happened. And then, well, this is post housing crisis, but it's the same and, issues at hand. Well, and involves to a point people getting rich off of others misery. Yes, actually. Yes. Um, but uh, this actually shows you the misery, not just the indignation. That's, true. that's that's a great way of putting it. Um, so this was uh, again, this was a film you put forward. Would you like to uh, do the honors and introduce it a bit? Yeah. So Ninety Nine Homes is a film by uh, Ramin Bahrani, which I just butchered. I promise you. Um, I, I assure you, I destroyed that. <laughs> Yes, uh, it is starring uh, Andrew Garfield, a who plays Dennis Nash, a construction worker, who the first time we are introduced to him is losing his job, not because he did anything wrong, just because the, the money fell through, so no one was getting paid, so he's going home without a job. Come to find out that he's also, they're also being evicted from their home because they couldn't and or didn't pay make some mortgage payments there's a little bit of confusion there he says that the bank told him not to uh not to pay not to make certain payments and now he's being evicted for it doesn't it doesn't get bogged down on that um so while they are confused trying to figure it out uh, michael shannon uh representing the banks and the sheriff's department shows up at his door and says hi you're being evicted get the hell out and then they proceed to take all their stuff put it on the curb and say get out of here, um, and through that's not what happens the first time though. What do you the mean? First, oh, I mean the first uh, the first eviction you see in the film. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is not what happens. The very first eviction you see in the film, <laughs> uh, which so, I mean, it's quite like an opening, quite an opening, and really sets the table for what is once again a virtuoso performance from Michael Shannon that got. I think a Screen Actors Guild out of it. Uh, a Screen Actors Guild nomination. Well, at least there's that. And I, I don't think that we can stress enough that Michael Shannon is probably the hardest working actor in Hollywood. <laughs> um, just in terms of the number of films he's in, just the volume of work he does. And at the same time, uh, is relatively underseen. <laughs> yeah. And in, in this one, Michael Shannon plays a realtor named Rick Carver, who, as I said, shows up to evict 
uh, Andrew Garfield, but then through a admittedly contrived series of events, uh, Dennis Nash comes to, out of desperation, work for Rick Carver by helping him evict other people. Uh, yes, uh, after so think- himself being... Completely by Rick Carver, yes. Yes. Um, so I think that's a good table setting for this. It's, it's it, a great And even setting. there, you could at least see it as sort of the other side of the coin in, in, while talking about the big short, which is sort of a very detached well, yeah. version because, of this. Well, it, it's it's also, yeah, right, because 99 Homes fundamentally is about Andrew Garfield looking into Rick Carver's world and being simultaneously allured by what he sees and repulsed. Um, and, and, and ultimately opting to do what he does, even the most despicable acts in the film for the betterment of his family, which, you know, it's, it's, it's the the stuff of great drama that, you know, what motivates men to make heartless, horrible decisions. (laughs) And what I appreciate so much about Nine at Home is that you're never really, uh, uh, other than again one moment toward the end that I, I told you about before we talked before we recorded and and we'll get there uh, yeah that we will get to I never really felt like I was uh, I, I felt like I could understand every single decision that he was making none of it felt contrived or uh, just for the sake of creating a uh, you know a great character downfall or or you know it, it all seemed motivated by the betterment of his family it it seemed sympathetic even when he was doing something completely de- deplorable um you could you could see how he was justifying it to himself you could see the the gears of his head working to make it okay to make it be uh to, to justify it to himself basically to live with himself when and uh the- he's doing actually he does he does that just fine until he's literally confronted by somebody who he had assisted in kicking out of his house yeah i mean in the first time we we meet rick carver in this movie he is making what is probably the most callous joke i've ever heard especially when you consider the timeliness of it Mm -hmm. i mean you one of the first shots is that you realize that a man has committed suicide rick carver's there there's cops and everything and the cop is asking for a statement and he says, "Well, we showed up with with two pizzas for the family here, and and you know the and Mr. I don't know his name. Let's call him Mr. Johnson. And, and Mr. Johnson was upset because uh, he didn't want anchovies. Yeah. So he went into the bathroom and blew his brains out, and that set off a missus who was expecting Chinese. And uh, it's the guiltiest I've felt in a while for a laugh. <laughs> right? You're kind of like." Ha. Uh, I, I I chuckled a little. I'm just like, oh my god, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and that's I, I, again, I'll, you know how how telling of Shannon's abilities and his talent as an actor that he actually don't get me wrong, he is not sympathetic in that moment and in general, um, you know, other than a, a deep reading into his character and and one scene in particular where he does shed some humanity uh, on on the role of Rick Carver, he's he's not. A terribly sympathetic character but he's got a he's he's got a there's a person there it's just a horrible hard uh in, inscrutable and power and money hungry person um yeah. and you know i've watched a lot of movies recently about morally ambiguous characters and whether or not 
a film is endorsing them is very important. <laughs> you know, just because yes, even, in that, even in that moment not. we're talking about that it, uh, even in that moment you're talking about that he sort of like sheds on his humanity. That's not the film saying, yeah, see, he's right. You're like, no, here's his perspective. You know, but but here's what I think I think makes it for me is that and, and I could see someone disagreeing with this take, but I could definitely defend this point. Um, it the film never feels like it's an indictment of Rick Carver specifically. Uh, it it feels like the real villain of this movie is the system in which Rick Carver operates, and that system is essentially the system the US, that allows him to operate. The system that allows him to operate. The system that. I mean, if we're to believe his description, which I, uh, which I don't really see a reason not to, uh, that had essentially fucked over his his father and who he had seen, uh, which he had seen unfairly treat people before, uh, which you know made him realize that this is the way one has to be in order to succeed in the system. You can't be you can't be decent men in an indecent time. I, I've used that line. I think I used that line to you when we were talking about this right afterward. Yeah, I think. Well, maybe I don't know. I've definitely used it uh, several times over the last. Well, it's <laughs> an abiding theme that can be stretched throughout a lot of different movies, and then it goes to show how you know in touch Christopher Nolan is with these kinds of ideas. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, clearly now is the time for us to use radar and sonar technology to spy on people through their cell phones. <laughs> Yes, except you know we don't need that because we have the Senate. Whatever. Because um, now you can sell. Now you can buy people's uh, internet search histories. Anyway, um, this is wrong. <laughs> just just search for the just search for the guy who is like where to buy clown face paint. <laughs> uh, cheap purple. How suit. did I get these scars? <laughs> uh we got him <laughs> how to kill mayor <laughs> anyway um but no so, i mean he he's right he he realized that he couldn't play the game anymore yeah and and the thing is you can again a lot of that backstory is relegated to one scene in particular uh that i felt was very well delivered and that I bought whether or not he was telling the truth. Again, I don't really see a reason to doubt him other than the fact that maybe he was trying to put blame off of himself. Either way, I, it felt genuine to me. And, and this film comes off more as an, again, more as an of, Oh my God, did your cats attack you? No, that was a sneeze. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, as you should sneezing is a egregious offense. Um, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, but it comes off more as an indictment of this cutthroat, inhumane system, the economic system that is really the only. Again, his his method. It, it's possible that is the only way to really succeed and to not be one of the people kicked out of their homes for <laughs> you know not being as wealthy as they need to be. It's. Yeah, I don't know. I I felt it a much more uh, powerful and and like you said, hum, you know, human depiction of what the the tragedy and the human element that went into the housing crisis than something like The Big Short delivered, which again, based on a book by the same author as Moneyball, mm-hmm. more concerned I think with the the numerological the details, that, which are interesting. 
but probably you're more engaging to read. Well, yeah, book. but it, I mean, it still sees in that in that sense, it still sees people as numbers. I mean, even in the most right. even in the most friendly sense, it's just to say that like, oh, you know, X millions of people lost their home, where you could say like, wow, you know, that's a lot of people. That sucks. You know, and not that it's not like. But it's not humanizing them. It's not telling you who they are and actually what went into making them lose their homes. And the after Dennis actually helps with evictions, um, there's this rapid fire like montage almost of him evicting people. And it actually it's not just like, hey, look at him evict this person. Look at him evict this person. If you look at the circumstances behind each eviction, they're they're organized in such a way as to escalate and further challenge your idea of whether or not this is right. Because on one hand, you're like, these people aren't paying their mortgage. You know, you don't pay Mm -hmm. your mortgage, you get evicted. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what what can you really say about that? Well, and and I gotta gotta blow my nose, hang on. The first people it shows are literally just people who did not pay their mortgage and who, you know. Exactly, so it shows that, and you're like, well... You know, that sucks, and these people are, are clearly sad about it. So, you know, and so I, I, happy, I, I sympathize life. with your situation at the same time, you didn't pay your mortgage. But then it, it goes even further. And so the next person you're introduced to, I believe, is a, a tenant. He is renting the place, and his landlord told him, don't worry about those eviction notices, I'm, get, I'm sorting it all out. Um, so now this person who was you know, who was paying his rent every month, who was not a party to this loan with the bank, who was led to believe that he was okay. Now he's being evicted. Then you, then the obvious question is, well, okay, is that right? And then what is perhaps the most heartbreaking of them all is a very old man who I believe is credited on the IMDb, IMDb page as elderly evicted man. So <laughs> that, that, that about sums it up. Yes. Um, who, when he opened the door, is very clear that he has no idea what the fuck is going on. And the last, the, he, when confronted with the fact that, oh, you know, you haven't paid your mortgage, all, all he says is that his wife, who is not there, probably dead, got a reverse mortgage a few years ago and took care of it. And he has no family, no one who could come pick him up, and clearly doesn't know what the fuck is going on. So then, is that right? You know, it's it's one of the most like heartbreaking scenes in the movie because of how well it escalates it and shows you that it's more of a comprehensive problem than just poor people. It definitely, and and you know what, actually, um, I think is worth pointing, worth praising in a in a slightly different way, and not. In, in this case, not for uh, the way that the evictees are are depicted, but how Andy Garfield uh, actually performs this. Yes, scene. that's the other uh, side of the coin, uh, definitely. And uh, I actually want to particularly praise his uh, the scene of his first eviction, where he's it, it's the first one where he is the one who has to go up with the police in tow and tell the evictee that they have to leave their house. And after, mind you, having already seen the same scene play out with him on the receiving end of this, um, with the and hearing from the person he is evicting, similar pleas to what he was giving Rick Carver in the first place, saying, you know, I, I you know, we'll, we'll 
call the lawyers. We'll have it all taken care of. It's fine. Uh, thank you very much, though. We'll see you later. And, and you know, having just be like, look, I, I'm sorry. I know it's difficult. Um, we can give you a couple minutes to collect your stuff, but you are trespassing right now. And I don't know the way he plays it with like, you know, the, the moments when he chooses to look away where you can't quite meet their eye. Um mm-hmm. Because he's not at that – he's not Rick Carver. He's far from it at that <laughs> point where he can't – he feels the emotional weight of what he's doing to these people. Because he um, just went through it. Right. And you have to see him force his way through it. And I, I, I just, that felt like one of his best acted scenes that I, I've ever seen Andrew Garfield in. Um, yeah, I mean and he was fucking nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. and, but, and in that too, that, that, I love that just how struck he... a very good. I don't know that 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 he struck just the right tone with me in that. Yeah, in I that love scene. how he appeals really flustered at times, like he doesn't really know what to do, and then it kind of like clicks that he just falls back on um, things that he heard, things that were said to him. You know, right. and, and there's a lot of emotion going on there because there's there's a clinical aspect where this is just the job that needs to get done. There's a uh, there's an epithetic strain in that performance as well because this just happened to him. He does really understand what he's going, what the other person's going through, and he does feel bad about it. And also, there's just I, I detected a bit of resentment where you know when he's asking for the stuff, he's like, "Look, I asked for the same thing. I didn't get it. You're not. <laughs> yeah, makes, makes you special. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into that too. You know, he confronts someone later, and he's like, "Listen." you know i get that you want to try to save your home just don't bother take the cash for keys it's gonna be better for you mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's it's really great performance from him in those respects i i think that if if i notice i notice this that he's sort of like like michael shannon rick carver he has like a script you know he knows Right. Uh, he knows what he's going to say. He he's knows precise. what to say when you say this. If you say A, I'm going to say B. And so yep. Andrew Garfield, he kind of, you know, ha- having been through it, he's like, you know, I've seen how you do this. I'll go, th- uh, I can do this. He actually, if you notice in his first eviction, he rushes the script. He jumps right to, you know, okay, I'll give you some time. You know, I'll right. give you the three minutes. And that's not even something that Rick Carver said. That's something that the sheriff said. The to sheriff him. said, that's right. So, uh, and th- that's what I kind of got that he was. When when confronted with all this stuff, he really just didn't know how to handle it, and he just picked, grabbed onto the first thing that he could remember from being evicted, which is, okay, I'm going to give you some time to go get your stuff and everything mm-hmm. like that. And then very quickly, the sheriffs take over from there, so he's like... <laughs> I feel like that's a scene that could have been... It, it, it could have been forgettable, and they knew that that was a decisive moment. In the, the, the filmmaker knew uh, this was a decisive moment in the film. Um, and, and one of that character's defining moments and I, I just think they nailed it completely um and i, I the only I, again there's really only one time where i felt overly that this character was being written for a film um and we can get into the spoilers if need be we've talked enough, enough generally about the movie sorry yeah it, it, it i wasn't sure if you want to jump into that point but um so the the main crux of that character's arc is ultimately getting to a financial situation where he can buy back the house that was that he was and his family were evicted out of. Um, the, it was a family home, and it had been I think a couple generations in that family. Um, yeah, from what I, mo- what he said at the uh, at the court hearing. Yeah. Yeah, his mother played by Laura Dern. I think 
had grown up in it. So I, I, either way, very emotionally important to this family. Um, and he gets there. He gets to that point where uh, he's making enough money. Rick Carver offers to buy the house and uh, essentially, you know, give it to Andrew Garfield. And then he would just owe his payments to him mm-hmm. um, to recover. That's a shitty rate, Rick. It's, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Rick was doing him a solid. And, uh, it, you know, everything's going great. And then, of course, you get to that point where he's making so much money and, you know, his hubris has has inflated and human folly comes into the picture more prominently. And uh, he sees a another house, much bigger, uh, completely different financial class than yes. the house was. He, it, <laughs> Probably it, one or two above. One or two above. He'd, he'd essentially be it, – it's a upper-class opulent house in an affluent neighborhood. With a pool. With a pool. Like a and, waterfront property. Yeah. An, obvious, an obvious symbol for that character's – you know. Well, and, and the only reason they're in this situation in the first place is because he gets confronted at the hotel they're staying at by someone who he has evicted. So they they feel a time crunch that they need to get out That's, of there. There's well, a he does anyway. Where he can't get into his, he can't actually move into his old house for another two weeks, and uh, he feels like his family is threatened. Uh, I mean, his family he has literally been threatened. Yeah. <laughs> by a tenant who he recently evicted. Uh, who has come to live at the same complex that he is temporarily staying at. And so he wants to rush the process along. And his solution to that is instead to purchase this monstrosity of a mansion. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it is a huge house. And he does so without informing his family about this um, and feels that the proper way to let them know that they will instead be moving into this completely sterile in you know uh, house that they feel no actual emotional connection to is to just bring them there and tell them hey this is where you're going to live and not that house that has been in our family for generations because i sold it because i sold it it's any ted already sold it and of course doesn't go well i don't understand how any thinking human would think that would go well yeah, I mean, you and you kind of know, like, when he's bringing them to the house that they're not going to like it, you know? Of course. Yeah, they're kind of horrified even before they know that it's theirs. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That, to me, felt like the one moment where he was being overtly a, a film character. That he was, you know, he has to have the da- the great downfall, the major demonstration of his of his, you know, avarice and greed and, you know, what have you and human folly, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> that was, I don't know, that, that was the one time it got a bit too much for me. Uh, other than that, I felt completely, I don't know, I completely sympathetic to this character, even when he was making the most despicable decisions um, and making a living in the most dishonest way possible. It, it all seemed properly motivated and, um, complicated yeah and you know i don't think you, this you could assess situations through his point of view you could also assess it through the point of view points of view of the people he's evicting you could also uh if you want to be really cold-hearted assess it through rick carver's point of view well you always know his point of view and that's you something to i mean in a lot of a lot of movies i've seen recently have done this really well 
monster and the salesman is that they they try first and foremost to understand perspective rather than pass judgment. Um, and they they do that for the most part with with uh, with Michael Shannon's character with Rick Carver. You kind of you understand where he's coming from and why he makes the decisions he makes and it's up to you to decide, you know, who's right, who's wrong, whose perspective most closely aligns with yours. Um, and even in these moments that I have called sort of like melodramatic, and I'm not saying you're saying this, so don't worry. I, I don't think that any of these moments uh, belie or, or undermine anything that the movie was trying to do. It's just in those moments, it does feel a lot more I, like a movie no, you know, I, in, the, I think in the most traditional sense. I just think that the, that the film distinguished itself so much from what it was able to portray convincingly and not in a way where, you know, it was trying, where it was trying to have a moment and manipulate you as an audience member in a way a more conventional movie would, or even, even something like a, the big short will <laughs> yeah. try to do. I mean, the, the big short tries to, I don't know. It, it tries to give you the same effect as a Scorsese film where it'll just overwhelm you and, you know, get, cram style down your throat. Um, and it treats you like an audience member. It treats you like someone who is watching this uh, within the, you know, within the context of a, you know, of, of a film narrative. 99 Homes felt much more organic to me. It felt like I was actually spying in on people's lives yeah i think so the best way I, I, can... I think moments like that that felt a bit more uh manipulated just stood out to me that much more yeah. uh, and it's almost a testament to how great most of the film is as opposed to just this scene in particular being necessarily terrible which i, I don't think it is it's just it, 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 shows it stands a out it's just a cracker yeah exactly the, the way i could describe the big short honestly is is propaganda <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't yeah, it is. It seeks first and foremost to to make its audience angry enough to do something or you know to care. So that's that's really we're introduced through a series, a slew of characters who are really just mad about this whole thing, you know. So I mean, like the filmmaker himself was. So instead of seeing the people who basically are the source of the well whose treatment the treatment of those people is a source of the person's anger we just get that they're angry about it so 99 homes is the situation that steve carell was so mad about (laughs) you know and the people Um, involved it's and look i think this is what kept the film like 13th off my end of year list because ultimately it's essentially the same thing propaganda does not no it's not saying that what's advocating for is bad or something i don't agree with in fact i very much agree with criminal justice reform um but I, and i was actually going to bring this up in our uh, conversation about i'm not your negro uh which so i'm not going to ruin too much now because we will do this at a later date but um this is one element yeah. that i think does distinguish it uh above a film like 13th it forsakes any easy answers and in fact you know this prides itself in multiple contradictory points of view that aren't easily reconcilable. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it a more powerful film. That makes uh, 99 Homes a more pow- powerful film as well because you, you can't really reconcile. You, you can't make ev- There's no decision that would make everyone happy in this world. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no solution to their problems. It's, it's just a matter of uh, the, each one of these people trying to eke out a living, trying to just stay in a house trying to keep afloat in a vicious and horrible 
cruel system. And I, I'm always more sympathetic to negative portrayals of systems than negative portrayals of people. And, uh, you know, the, the closest thing this film has to a personified villain is Rick Carver. And again, I, I, I think that he kind of fades <clears throat> when, if you're trying to assess him as a villain, he fades into the background uh, in comparison to the actual U.S. housing market. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even his, even his like most villainous or most like w- objectively wrong, if you will, moment. I can even understand like the 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 whole climax result re- revolves around Rick Carver and his Rick Carver and his crew basically backdating and notarizing a document you know that wasn't in that wasn't in one person's eviction uh papers that needed to be so they're like oh shit mm-hmm. we forgot this paper <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so th- that's the that's the perspective I, I understand <clears throat> that they're sitting here like okay well we're about to broker this huge deal and they were, we haven't been being pay- being paid for this home but you're gonna get away with it because we forgot to file a paper, you know, like, it's mm. like, that's, I understand that I've been in like property management too. Also, I just found out the, that someone was able to get there. They like left the place like trashed and we had a video of it. Um, we had a video, we took a video of all our move out inspections. So we took a video of it. We had it posted on YouTube. Uh, and before the, before the court case, a hearing their, for their deposit because they fought us for their deposit. They <laughs> flagged the video as a copyright infringement and got it taken down. What? Yes. Yeah. What? And then we didn't have a video of their inspection for the court hearing, so they got their whole deposit back. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, you know, so they claimed I, copyright on their own video that they filmed that you were using as evidence against them. No, no. Well, we filmed the video. That oh, is, you, I'm sorry. So you filmed the video. They. They claim copyright on that, or in yeah, you can you can go to YouTube right now and put in a copyright like complaint, flag it as you know a video well, you own, and then yeah. it will get removed because. But, but that doesn't make you legally in the right to to file a copyright claim. No, of course, no, he was legally in the wrong when he did that, but. Oh, oh, oh but it worked. It worked. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I I sort of understand this like this anti-bureaucratic stance in these cases where you're just like, oh God. You know, it's like one one small thing goes wrong, whether or not it's your fault. And then, you know, from their perspective, people get away with not paying you, basically. So, uh, you know, and again, it's not an endorsement, but I can look at that, which no, is but that's possibly ca- that's his how they most villainous it. act this, and say, OK, just, I understand why you're upset about this. I understand why you would want to just like fudge the details a little. Yeah, this is all. Really, this is going to make him a lot of uh, like. Uh, there's going to be a great deal that this is riding on, and and this deadbeat piece of shit wasn't paying his rent anyway. And the only reason he's going to get off scot free from it is because of a technicality. Well, we'll just fix that. Yes, that's exactly. Perspective. That's the perspective. Yeah, and so, I understand that. Not necessarily that I agree with it, but I understand. No, it. no, no. You, as you should. The guy's pers- the the homeowner's perspective is, I I have a fucking family. I I'm. You know, I am doing the best I can, doing what I'm supposed to do. What the hell? What the hell else can I do? How am I supposed to live? Yeah, maybe I've uh, fallen on hard times. You know, maybe there was some confusion with the bank, like like Dennis Nash had. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep a roof over my over my family's head. And oh, hey, here's this opportunity because my lawyer says that they they fucked up on the paperwork, and that could get me out of there. Mm-hmm. Also, an attractive perspective. Right. Exactly. So. 
it, yeah, it's it's a messy film, and I I feel like there were it, with something as uh, non clear cut as this. There's a lot of areas for it to just fatally fall apart, for it to just lose. I, I either become just completely mushy and impalatable, or to just take a person's side and take the easy way out. Um, and it doesn't either. And I, uh, that's what I found most impressive about it. Um, and why I'm particularly happy that, uh, that I saw it and that you recommended it. It definitely would have, what, what, what year did it come out? Was it 2014? 2014. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can't imagine myself uh, again. I'm a little rusty on that year. Oh, well, sorry. It came but, out and it had a limited theatrical release in 2015, the same year big short did. So that was oh, last year. Right, right. Right. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so it, it, it was at like the, uh, some film festival in, uh, I, oh, it was at I TIFF. feel like it in 2014. Oh, wow. okay. It was at TIFF, yeah. Gotcha. But but it, but it was 2015. It's essentially it's like kind of like the Hurt Locker was technically a 20 2008 film, but yeah, I mean it's, it's like it, it had a, an advanced screening, a one advanced mm-hmm. one time screening in 2014. So, <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, I I would be I'd be hard pressed to omit it from year unless it would at least be under serious consideration it was it was very hard for me to do it that's one of the, that was probably my number 11 of 2015 and i i completely understand why and my actually have my a couple of my favorite performances of that year as well so uh again no justice for michael shannon there is no justice in this academy of yours this academy of yours yeah <laughs> i mean th- that's another thing too if you're a fan of michael shannon this is essential reading absolutely um, but I could say that about most performances. I, I think that my, my favorite from him is still take shelter, but geez, Louise, is he one of the most like talented? And I, I just, it's not that people don't know him. I still say he's undervalued and I, I'm, I hope I stop saying that soon, but right. I, like, He'll be valued appropriately. <laughs> exactly. It's not that people don't know him. It's that like, he should honestly be one of the most renowned actors working today his name should be synonymous with uh with a kind of like you know sincerity and rawness uh and a a range that not many actors can exhibit and he just i I don't know i just keep feeling like he he keeps going under most people's radars and isn't i don't know it just doesn't have the kind of favorite on michael shannon I mean, I, fine. I'm I'm okay with that. I, we talked about the same thing in uh, our, when we talked about uh, when we discussed Take Shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what a great movie. We, wow, we've done two Michael Shannon forgotten favorites. <laughs> We're I don't showing care. Our I'll, hand. I'll do more because well, it seems like putting him in a film is just. We'll probably do Nocturnal Animals at some point. And I think the best thing about this too is that you you put forth Take Shelter, and then right. I put forth Nine Nine Homes. So yeah. So it's not just one of us being a super Michael Shannon fanboy. This guy is the real deal, and I, I, I don't know. It's 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 nuts to me that he again. It's not that he doesn't get work. He is uh, an insanely busy actor. He's credited. Oh my god! One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm seeing ten credited movie roles for 2016. Oh, for tw- okay. See, I thought you were just like counting his movie roles. I'm no, like, no, no, <laughs> no. That's last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow that's 
That is nuts. Wow. Holy shit. I, uh, you know, and he's ten, been, ten of course, ago. he can be like any actor. He can be out, underutilized, you know, playing General Zod, for example. He was in Freeheld, sure. which was terrible. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, like any actor, he could be underutilized, but he's never going to be the problem with the movie. Uh, absolutely not. And again, I, like Meryl Streep could be underutilized, too. There's still an insane amount of clout and prestige behind her name. And I'm not objecting to that. I'm objecting to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Michael Shannon doesn't seem to. I mean, t- even if he's not quite as renowned as Meryl Streep, why isn't he more talked about? Why isn't he? He seems to just still just kind of seems to be on the fringes delivering amazing performances that people just happen to luck into seeing, including myself. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I'm still waiting for that one just insane breakout role that no one can ignore that that's going to get him a, a lead actor nomination, possibly a win. And it's just going to put him on the map and, and define him as this generation's De Niro. And, uh, and on that day, I'll stop saying that he's uh, an underappreciated actor. No, man, that'll, that'll be nice. Uh, he is, I, I'm just looking it up in the future. He is going to be in a Weinstein biopic st- okay. where he's playing George Westinghouse opposite Benedict Cumberbatch, which is to say that which is to say that a lot more people are going to see this movie because fucking Benedict Cumberbatch just, just in it. So Benedict Cumberbatch, right. Exactly. They like happen to be in a theater well, that's another thing. Michael while Michael Shannon's on the screen. That's another thing. Michael Shannon doesn't draw crowds. Why doesn't no, he draw crowds? I don't. I have no idea. Quick, uh, quick, um, Michael Shannon tidbit. Do you know what his? Don't, don't look it up. Do you know what his debut film was? The first film he acted in. Ooh, I don't know. You'll never fucking guess. It's Groundhog Day. Wow! What? That's amazing. Yeah. He's credited as Fred, but I do not know who Fred is. Huh? Fred. And here's a different fun one. The first credited film role for uh, Michael Fassbender. Oh, I thought you I might this guess one. this one, but uh, I, I think I heard of it, but I, I can't. I can't remember right now. You go ahead. Three hundred. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Yes. <laughs> no. No. Oh, no. why? I mean, this is an Oscar, I think, nominated. I don't think he's won yet. Oscar nominated actor. <laughs> Very first role was in Zack Snyder's, the film that put Zack Snyder on the map. That is still maybe, like, I don't know, still one of his best, at least one of his better movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just because it's the least I, I, he's kind of a slave to uh to the source material to frank miller's original comic and that kind of keeps him grounded a bit so you know it's definitely a not, not a bad film uh actually speaking of michael fosbender i think uh, another one uh forgotten favorite uh, not really I don't, again i don't know how fair it is to call it forgotten but it's definitely under talked about and and under talked about you know what i mean i'm tired <laughs> it's late um but honestly probably the best michael fassbender performance i've ever seen in steve mcqueen's hunger oh dude 
Yes, totally forgotten favorite. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that is one that we're gonna have to do real soon. So we will be we will be addressing Mr. Fosbender again. Um, I don't really know how we came to address him this time, but. Yeah. <laughs> we just we go on tangents, man. Do you show yourself? Like that's the reason you come to the show. It's because, our bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> It's what we're known for, I presume, to the extent that we're known at all, which is probably very slim. Very, yeah. very slim, yes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's 99 Homes. Highly recommend it. It, mm-hmm. it comes it's on and well. off VOD. It, it was on uh, Amazon Prime for a while. It'll it's probably still come on. on Netflix at some point. No, it, so. it's, it's still on Amazon Prime. Oh, sweet. That's how I watched it. Hell yeah. So, yeah. It's still, uh, so, yeah, it's still available. I um, own it, yeah. so I, that's how I watched it. <laughs> I will probably own it soon. It's worth it. And I, yeah, I was um, very delightfully surprised. And again, this is why I love doing these third, uh, third segments because it's just a nice way to get cool movie recommendations of shit. We, I mean, like, I, look, you said you liked uh, Holy Motors and I am elated about that. I know it was weird, but at the very least, even if you didn't like it, it isn't it a film that you're happy you at least saw? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I definitely liked it. It's it's my it's my favorite like meta film like, yeah, yeah. I've seen in a while. <laughs> I rewatched the uh, accordion scene through the church, and it just made me unreasonably great? happy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a you know it helps prioritize shit in a in a sea of movies that we cannot keep up with. So. Yeah, you're gonna miss out on a few, and I think that's probably it's it's a I like spend a lot of time on these because I think it's like a premiere of our podcast. You know, we want to show you guys movies that you haven't heard about and enrich everyone's film going experience. Totally. First and first and last goal. Like the goals in between are like make dick jokes every now and then, talk about cats, Star Wars, lots of Star uh, Wars. Avoid. Oh, and Spider Man. Oh man. Spider Man. Batman. Spider-Man. Uh, last year, my goal was to get everyone to hate Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, I think and I did then, okay. Uh, no, I very least hated up, me no, talking about it. So. Is, what ended up happening is no one remembered Florence Foster Jenkins, and then it's just, why does James keep talking about Florence Foster Jenkins? I've got to go see this fucking thing. <laughs> and then they're like, this is a masterpiece. No. Uh, I think that it didn't win any Oscars. That was like, I felt like I never had to talk about it again. But here I am, right? Um, it was still nominated. <laughs> why do you do this to me <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to watch the, because master Wayne, i like to watch the world burn <laughs> make sure you emphasize master wayne even With if you write a, it down even if you write it down master wayne master god the, the size of a tangerine <laughs> and with that uh what do you say we call this episode episode done um give Literally us a like on facebook thing. talking during the movie i have a twitter mike has a twitter um do but talking during the movie does not have a twitter does talking it? During the movie does have a twitter i just i stopped using it i um, see so and, and also another when i made the twitter account for talking to the movie i that's what i really thought about most of like rebranding because funny enough talking in the movie is too long to fit as a name of a Twitter. And, and I understand it would be too long to fit as like the Twitter handle, of course, but you yeah, can't yeah. even put it in that like name. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, you can, it's too but many like letters. The, the name of 
wow, I didn't know there was a, I guess there's a character limit on everything in Twitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you Because, well, like, the handle could just be, like, TD... TM yeah like, TD, like at TDTM that's great you know but yeah, I also yeah. I wanted to put like okay like talking during the movie you know can't do it so uh, oh, fuck Twitter we... follow me at Jam Cozy follow Mike at Michael Leiden something oh my god what's my handle <laughs> was it Michael underscore Leiden 892 something it is Michael Leiden 892 all one word no Michael Leiden 892 boom um, characters and also Subscribe to us on iTunes, man. We got uh, we're on iTunes. We got we're iTunes super legitimate. I recently found out that our most popular episode to date is uh, Hillary's America: The Secret History of Mike and James, which I'm pretty sure is only popular because it's referencing a oh, Shoe film. Oh, and talks man. about Hillary. Please um, tell me we got like alt right people downloading that shit, and then oh no, oh no. <laughs> we're we're big in the alt right sectors. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, that's like a nightmare of mine. <laughs> Like waking up and finding out that like secretly people in who like Breitbart readers are just huge. Dude, into I'll, I'll take it. Well, they can't be honestly. We we like talk shit about no, them enough shit, on this we podcast. Shit on we shit on Trump way too much, and yeah, it's no, we're we're not really we're not really discreet about our political views. So I don't really see how <laughs> it, it would have pretty much just been the title, and then yeah. They saw that we weren't at all talking about Hillary's America, and then they would have just promptly shut it off. Yeah, no, we're not talking about fuck Hillary's America. No, um, Dinesh D'Souza got out of jail and proceeded to make another snuff piece. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it. As I said, we're on iTunes. We're both on Twitter. Give us talk during the movie, like on Facebook. Leave us an angry review. Send us hate mail. We love it all. Uh, it was a great show this week. It's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening.